Sam, it's good to see everybody. Glad that you're here. Um, I'm going to get right into it tonight, um, just because I, I'm going to try to cover a lot of distance tonight. How many know that we're, that's a big, that's a lot to ask for me, right, to cover a, a, a lot in Scripture, and so I'm going to do my best with that tonight. Um, thank you to Aaron uh, Poole last week for uh, filling in, and uh, did you enjoy Aaron speaking last week? And Come on, give him a hand clap. He's not in here, but give him a hand. And uh, appreciate him doing that while I was out and about. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews uh, chapter 9. And we ended at, at verse 10 last, uh, well, two weeks ago. And uh, leading up, really, Hebrews um, from the 6th chapter through about the 10th chapter, there's a lot of depth of scripture, and uh, you can really see a thesis being laid out by the author of Hebrews, just kind of setting a tone. Um, Hebrews written, obviously, to the Hebrews, those who were believers uh, in Christ, but they were drifting back into their old ways and wanting to kind of get back into the uh, uh, the old covenant and uh, going to the temple and, and being involved in that. And the writer uh, writes a good argument of what it means to be saved and what Jesus did. How many know that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice? Amen. How many know that Jesus is the the, the perfect high priest for us? Amen. And we ended uh, a couple weeks ago uh, around um, um, verse 10. I think I made it to verse 11. And we talked about what it took for people to have their sins forgiven in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, talking about having to bring a lamb and this huge process. And we uh, kind of broke that down, and I think that that's very important. If you didn't, um, if you don't know what that is, you can go back and listen to the podcast, or you could just read the first uh, 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 10 verses of this chapter. So we'll start uh, 11. Uh, verse 11, it says this, and if you need a, a heading for this, it's redemption through the blood of of Christ, How many have been redeemed by the blood of Christ? If you're saved and on your way to heaven, you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Verse 11, I like the way that this starts, and it starts with, uh, you know, the word but. And when there's a but, that means that there's been something that has changed, right? And it, we were talking about the old system, but then it starts in verse 11 with, but when Christ appeared as what? our high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy places, uh, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So you got to remember that this is being written to the Hebrews and, uh, and they're being drawn back into the sacrificial system. And the author is saying this, don't go back to rules and regulation. There is a new covenant, all right? And the work of salvation has been completed by Jesus Christ. And how many know that Jesus Christ was, is, and always will be the only perfect Lamb of God? Amen? And so remember uh, that a Jewish person would bring a lamb to be examined by the priest. This is interesting. Um, they would take this lamb and they would take it in and the priest would have to look at this lamb to make sure that there was no blemishes and, and there was no issues. And if there was an issue, that lamb would be rejected. It could not be sacrificed. So 
Uh, I, I want you to notice something about that. Notice the lamb was inspected and not the worshiper, not the person who brought it. How many are grateful for that? Man, that might have flown over your head, but that, that, that is an amazing thing. Uh, n- the lamb was inspected and not the worshiper. So this is what happens to us. Today in our lives, um, the devil comes in and he whispers in our ear. And he ta- talks to us, the worshiper, you know, the one who loves God, and we're doing our best. And he reminds us, the devil t- reminds us, hey, you failed. Do you remember when you failed? Do you remember when you sinned? Do you remember when you dropped the ball? Do you remember when you lied? Do you remember when you gossiped and uh, you're not worthy? Come on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever ever heard that thought? And you're blemished and, and you, you can't worship God because you are not perfect, and you can't be blessed. That's Those are all lies of the enemy. And the devil is wrong because God, God doesn't inspect the worshiper. He inspects the lamb. And how many know that Jesus Christ was the perfect lamb? Amen? And uh, so, uh, you know, John the Baptist said it like this of Jesus. Behold, the lamb of God who what? Takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist had and was being inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak prophetically of who and what Jesus was to do. So uh, really, I mean, you think about it, three days before Jesus' crucifixion, he was scrutinized by the, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, right? Uh, they, they, they challenged him on every end, and they, they, they tried to find fault in him. The Greeks, they questioned his theology. You know, you can look in Matthew 22. And Pilate would, you know, when they brought him before Pilate, Pilate would say, man, there's no wrong in this guy, but I don't know what you guys, I don't know what your issue is here, but I'm going to wash my hands of this because you guys can do this. Pilate actually had it right, and, and so he could clear his conscience there. And, um, but here's what I know. Jesus passed the test of perfection, and therefore... This is what's so beautiful about it. We can come before the Father confidently and talk to him freely based not on our righteousness but on his righteousness. Amen? He's the perfection. He's the perfect lamb of God. No, uh, so next time the devil comes and tries to tell you, hey, you're not worthy. And this, you know what you can do? You can look at him and say, I am not, but Jesus is, and I am his. Amen? Verse 13, for the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, a sanctify for the purification of the flesh. Verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered uh, himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience and our dead works to serve the living God. So the reference here at the beginning of this is, is found in Numbers 19. And what would happen wherein we read that, when a person came in contact with the corpse or ashes, or uh, the ashes of a heifer were to be sprinkled on that person. All right, how many are glad we're past that? But they, the ashes of a heifer would be sprinkled on that person in water and poured over them, ceremonially cleansing them and, and their flesh in order that they could continue into the tabernacle or, or to worship the Lord. So, so the author here asks a great question. How much better is the blood of Christ, which uh, doesn't only deal with the external 
but deals with the internal. So the heifer, you know, uh, you know, if I touched a dead corpse and I was a, a good uh, Hebrew and I touched a dead corpse, I would have to go and I'd have to be ceremonially cleansed with the ashes of, heifer, uh, of a heifer and, and water over me. So that would cleanse me on the outside. But the blood of Jesus, come on, the blood of Jesus is so good, it puri purifies us inside and outside. Amen? That's a beautiful thing. I get I get it really excited about it. I, imagine this. Drew's not here tonight, so I'm gonna pick on him. But imagine this: if Drew, uh, uh, you know, pulled up beside me. If you don't know Drew, he he works for the sheriff's department. He's a deputy sheriff. And um, but imagine if he pulled me over and wrote me a ticket. And uh, while he's handing me that ticket, it falls down in the ground and it falls in the mud, right? So just, just kind of picture that in the ground. And he picks it up and he hands it to me and he says, I'll see you in court, Pastor, you know. And, uh, and when I get to court, the judge looks at my citation and it's fallen in the mud, right? And he looks at, the judge looks at it and says, hey, I know you have a citation here, but it, it's been dropped in the mud. Don't try this. Come on. Some of you are already thinking in your mind. Um, and I promise they have two copies of this. But imagine the judge looks at that and says, I, I know that you have something against you, but listen, it's been covered. It's been covered. And I don't know what that is. And so I'm going to let you go free. So I go on my way. And uh, but here's what happens as I go along my way, I'm I'm free from the penalty. But guess what? Uh, uh, I still have an offense against me. It was just covered up. Right. And so the blood of bulls and the blood of goats in those times, they would they uh, would cover sin, but not remove it. And so here's here's let's take that example a little bit further. Now, suppose that ticket hadn't fallen in the mud. Come on. And the judge says, well, Pastor Skiles, you were doing 75 and a 55, all right? That's a real number for me probably, all right? You're doing 75 and a 55, and the ticket price is going to cost you $5,000. And I would be going, I do not have $5,000 to pay for a ticket right now. I'm going to be in a, I'm in a lot of trouble here. But imagine this, all right? Imagine this. My good friend, Brandon Banks, man, he just happens to be there. And he comes up and he says, Pastor, I've got $5,000, and I'm going to pay this fine for you. Number one, I'd give Brandon a big hug. Come on, right? And, uh, and, and, and my debt would be paid. The price of my fine and, and, and my debt would be paid. And that's what Jesus did. He not only covered us, but he paid the debt for us so that we could go free. What are you saying, Pastor? Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul that sinneth shall surely die. The wages of sin is what? Always, 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 always. There's no exception to that rule. And although the ashes of the heifers and the goats would, would cover sin, they wouldn't pay the debt of sin. Um, it would be the death, the death of a man, right? Jesus, he came on the scene and he died for my sins and he died for your sins and he died for our sins. Come on. And, 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 you know, we have to come to this, you know, I've sinned, you've sinned, we've all blown it at some point, but I, I'm free because God became man and died in my place. Revelation 20, uh, 10 or 12, 10 says this, that the devil accuses me of sin day and night. It's what the accuser of the brothers, what they call, he is constantly like, you did this, you did that, Right. Uh, you know, you just tell the devil, hey, when you point it with one finger, you got three, you got him pointing back at you, right? But, but, but 
you know, and the devil comes along and he tries to make us feel guilty. He tries to make us feel condemnation, right? You blew it. You did this. You dropped the ball again. And he points out your shortcomings in which, which you can say, yeah, I agree. I, I am indeed a sinner, right? I'm the worst kind of sinner, honestly, if the devil knew what kind of sinner, you know, you know, it's probably even worse than what what he's saying. But but you need to remind him, no matter how bad your situation is, you need to point him to Jesus Christ, who is the perfect lamb of God. The blood of Jesus covers you. Amen. How many believe that the blood still works? All right. I'm not so modern that I will not lean into the blood of Jesus because the blood of Jesus, when the blood line is drawn, the enemy can't come across. Verse 15, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised in eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. What does that mean? Uh, if you have fallen in any of the Ten Commandments, the first covenant, how many have at least told a little white lie at one point in your life? How many have told a big whopper lie at one point? In your, it, and the Bible says that if you've committed one of those, you've committed all, you're, you're guilty of all of them, okay? And, and so we've, we've all fallen to those, but here's what happens. Jesus came and he redeemed us of our transgressions. Verse 17. For a will takes effect only at death, right? And since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. If you are on somebody's will, you're not going to receive that inheritance until that person dies, right? It's the way it works. It's just the, the way that that is. And so Jesus is the mediator. He is the uh, executor of the of this will. He also has to die before the will begins to work. I cannot receive, come on, I can't receive redemption. I can't receive God's grace and mercy on my life until he goes to Calvary. And he did that. How many know that he did that? And man, and, and if, if Jesus was still on this earth, there would be a dilemma. So Im imagine this. I'll give you a, just a hypothetical situation. Imagine um, there's a mom who passed away, and she has two sons, and she gave one son, okay, this is just a terrible uh, uh, example, but I'll just use it. She gives son number one, okay, son number one. And this is not because he's better. It's just the oldest son, all right? Son, of, I'm the youngest. I have an older brother, so I can relate to this. Son number one, um, he give, they, that she is giving him the electric grill, okay? Uh, so, hey, that is yours, the electric grill. Son number two comes in, and he says, wait a second. I wanted the electric. Now, some of you are like, man, this is relating a little too close to home because you've done this with siblings or when someone dies, the best and the worst comes out in people, right? And son number two argues, hey, I don't want I don't want him to have the electric grill. I, I, was, I live closer to mom. She liked me more, right? So I deserve the electric grill. And, he, and, 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 and son number two says, you know what? You know what son number one deserves? He deserves the electric bill, not the electric grill. Come on, right? And because she is in heaven, right, because she's gone out of this earth, guess what? She can't dispute, you know, you got these brothers who are arguing back and forth, right? In Jesus, such a problem doesn't exist. You see, Jesus being the fulfillment of the Old Testament law, when he died, uh, the new will, the new covenant came into effect. And he rose again, all right? How many know that he rose? When he rose again... 
He became the executor of the of the New Testament. Jesus came, hey, I didn't come to uh, abolish the the law. I, I fulfilled it. Now, guess what? Here, I'm giving you what? A new covenant, something new. And who by the Holy Spirit, who lives in our hearts, right, and tells us uh, how to work this out every day in our lives. And he leads us. And, you know, I did a series just recently. The Holy Spirit leads us into what? All what? Truth. Come on, say it. Say, the Holy Spirit leads us to all truth. Yeah. And and, and that is uh, what he's doing. He's he's helping us in this new covenant. And, and I mentioned this in that series that I spoke that, you know, um, the Holy Spirit plays a, a big role in our new covenant walk with the Lord. He leads us and guides us into all things. He convicts us, right? And and, and there's some beautiful things there. And uh, um, so the Holy Spirit leads us into those. So he is not only... The person who, so Jesus is not only the person who gives us the new covenant, but guess what? He sent a comforter, right? And he's the mediator who guides us in this, in this uh, thing. So how many are grateful for that? Amen. Verse 18 says this, therefore, not even the first covenant was uh, inaugurated with, without blood. Verse 19, for when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and, and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant of God that God commanded for you. Verse 21, and in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. So he's referring here to, uh, if you can look this up in Exodus chapter 24, when the old covenant came into effect. So, uh, Moses was doing these things when the tabernacle was erected and it was brought up and the priesthood established. Everything was sprinkled with blood. Why? Okay, let's read on. It says this, and without the shedding of blood, there is no what? Forgiveness of sins. All right, you need to get that in your heart. Without, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Some might say, hey, you know, I've heard people say this, the Holy Bible, you know, uh, there's a lot of bloodshed in there. There's a lot of war in there. There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of, uh, of greed. We see stories of that, and, and and it's full of those things. It's full of uh, sin and death, but it also tells the truth about the solution of sin, right? It gives us the, it shows us the problem, but it gives us the remedy, right? Uh, I like that. I like it when when somebody could say, hey, here's a, here's a problem, but here's the solution. And how many know that we serve a good God who will help us recognize the problem and say, hey, I am the solution. I've got it right here. Uh, it's the blood. Why blood? Because it shows the seriousness of sin. Here's the thing. Some of us like our little pet sins, right? And you can't wink at sin because sin doesn't play nice. It starts nice. Hey, hey, the Bible says sin is fun for a season, right? You ask people who are uh, uh, drug addicts or, or, or people who are stuck in a, in, a, in a prostitution ring or something like that, and they'll say, man, it, it started, I, I, I didn't intend it to get to this place, and it starts here, and then it just goes downhill, and it'll drag you down, right? So God is serious. Uh, 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 why is he so serious about sin? It's not because he's prudish and he can't handle, uh, you know, violence or, or things like that. It's because he knows what sin does. It kills. Right? It kills. Uh, it kills 
come on, it kills happiness. It kills joy. It kills health. It kills life. It kills dreams. It kills children. It kills families. It kills marriages. It kills societies. Come on. It kills cultures. The product of sin is always death. And that is why there can only be a forgiveness through through the shedding of blood. And there's no such thing as, as uh, forgiveness light. There's not a diet forgiveness, okay? It's, it's full-blown or, or, or it's not. It's uh, um, uh, forgiveness only comes through blood. And when God forgives us, it's through his blood. When I forgive others, it's through his blood, right? Oh, man, come on. Somebody needs to get that down in your heart. You're not forgiving someone because you're a good person. You're forgiving someone because the blood of Jesus forgave you, and now you can give them grace. Come on. And I'm thankful and I'm grateful for the blood of Jesus. Verse 23. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of, of heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So if the earthly tabernacle is a pattern of the heavenly tabernacle, I talked about that last time. You know, they erect this tent, gave you the dimensions and everything of that. It, uh, and it's a pattern of the heavenly temple. So if the earthly tabernacle was purified with blood, then the heavenly tabernacle must be purified with a much better sacrifice than the blood of lambs and goats here on earth. It, it, is, it, is, it is purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. So let me put that into this simple Ozark vernacular, all right, that I could speak. Jesus' blood still works, amen? The blood will what? Never lose its power. And it doesn't matter what you believe, his blood still works, amen? And it will never lose its power. I, I don't care what society says, the blood of Jesus can change anybody, amen? Verse 24, for Christ has entered into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, okay? It's just copy, uh, copies of the true things. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And so another reason Christ's sacrifice was superior than the Mosaic one was because in Moses' time, uh, they would go into a man-made sanctuary, which was just a copy. God gave it to them. It was just a copy of what, what was transpiring up there. Instead, when Jesus died, he entered the true sanctuary, which is in heaven, the very presence of God. Verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters into the holy place every year with, uh, with the blood not his own. Verse 26. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So, uh, you know, uh, there are those who teach that, that there is a continual sacrifice taking place, that, that there's a perpetual suffering of Christ goes on each and every time, you know, somebody takes communion or the, or the mass is celebrated or the Eucharist is served. But Scripture clearly shows us that, that Jesus Christ did it once and he did it once and for all. Verse 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes what? 
covenant. Comes judgment. So man dies once. Christ died once. And Christ did not have to die repeatedly like the Levitical system or the Mosaic system. He didn't have to come back year after year. You know, year after year on the Day of Atonement, they would come. They would, here's my lamb. Do it again. Do it over and over. Christ didn't have to do it multiple times. It was it was done and it was finished once and for all. So, so when we die, man faces judgment. And when Jesus died, he was perfect and did not face judgment, but was the what? He was the propitiation for our sins. That means he took the place for you and I. That ought to get you jumping up and down and get you really excited. Amen. And this teaches us that, that uh, you know, a little bit here. I'll give you a little side note right here. Um, this verse teaches us that there is no reincarnation. Right? It's appointed for man to die what? And then you're judged by God. You don't get to come back as a butterfly. Some people would teach you. If somebody says, well, that's not really mentioned in the Bible, you bring them right here to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, and show them this, all right? Uh, verse 28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. How many know that Jesus is coming back? Amen? Uh, a second time. Am I, is my mic going? Having issues. I don't know what's going on. Uh, okay, so Christ, this is a little bit louder, having been offered once uh, to bear the, the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eager, eagerly waiting for him. How many know that Jesus is coming back for his church? Amen. How many know that Jesus is coming back and he's going he's gonna to ride, ride a white horse and he's going to have a crown on his head? See, Jesus is not coming back to bear our sins again, no? He's already done that. Once Once was enough. He's not coming back to bear a cross again, but this time he's coming back and he's wearing a crown. How many How many know that? And he's going to have a sword in his hand. Come on, somebody. He, his vesture is going to be dipped in blood is what, what, what Revelation 19 tells us. And his name shall be called the word of, God, uh, word of God. And Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How many are looking for that return one day? Amen. All right, look, so look at this. Um, um, so going into chapter 10 here, I know that's a, that, was, that was a lot of depth. Wow, there was a lot going on. There's a, there's a lot here. It only gets a little bit deeper here. So how many know that if you need a subheading here, it's Christ's sacrifice once and for all. So uh, Jesus didn't say this on the cross. He didn't, he didn't pull the old infomercial. But wait, there's more, right? No, no, no. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is what? It's done. It's done. There's not, there's not more. I, I, I'm done. I'm, I'm doing this, okay? For, look at this. Uh, chapter 10, verse 1 says this. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifice that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise... Uh, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, uh, would no longer have any uh, consciousness of sin. Verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats 
to take away sin. It could cover it, but it could not take away. So uh, imagine you're on your way and you're into the tabernacle and you've got your, your little lamb, your little perfect lamb, and, 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 and you offer, you give your lamb to the, to the priest and they offer that lamb and you're watching the blood uh, flow as it's sacrificed. You would be reminded, listen, if you're watching that lamb die on behalf of your sin, you're going to be reminded of the sins that, that are in you, right? That's, that's just what's going to happen. Year after year, sacrifice after sacrifice, you're still reminded, hey, I mess up a lot. I'm still a sinner. And, and, and notice this. He did not say, remember your sins. So, uh, no, he said, remember, or Jesus didn't say, hey, I, I remember your sins. Jesus said this. The day that he was there in the, in, in the uh, Last Supper there, imagine this. He's there. He didn't say, hey, uh, remember your sins. He said, no, remember who? Me. He told his disciples, remember me. As often as you do this, remember me. As often as you're taking communion, remember me. The ideal is this, is, is this, to remember not your sins by constant or continual sacrifice, but by how much, it's not by how much you pray or how much you read your Bible, all right? The Lord wants you to remember your salvation by continual celebration because of what he's done for you. The price has been paid. The blood has been shed. The work has been done. And Jesus left us with communion so that we could remember how great of a Savior he is. And what a celebration, really, that is for us. Verse uh, 5 says this. Uh, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body, all right, but a body have you prepared for me in burnt offerings and sin offerings. You have, you have taken no pleasure. So let's, let's look at this. In Genesis 2, cha uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 7, God breathed life into Adam, right? <sighs> he breathed life into him. And so... The first Adam. So it did. Life uh, came into Adam. And then so here, when Jesus came onto the scene, come on, the, the, the last Adam, as, I, as we like to talk about him. We talk about the first Adam who fell to sin. We talk about the last Adam. Uh, it's, a, it's just a way of a symbolism of looking at Jesus Christ. Come on, he, he made things right. The babe of Bethlehem, right? He said, he said to the father, hey, you prepared a body for me because uh, you have no pleasure in sacrifice. So through Jesus, it was going to be completed once and for all. Now, I want, to, I want to point this out. The author of Hebrews is making a strong case here to the Hebrew Christians who are slipping back into their old ways, saying, hey, stop. There's a perfect sacrifice here. You don't have to do that. Verse 7, when I, uh, and then I said, behold, I have come to your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. So um, this is interesting. So the father has no pleasure in sacrifices. Why? And, and I have to stop and think about that. Didn't he establish that? Didn't the Lord establish the Mosaic sacrifices? Wasn't that, wasn't that his plan? Didn't, didn't he put that out there in the first place? Simply put, uh, we have to understand that bulls and the rams and the goats and the lambs, guess what? They were this, you know. They were a promissory note, okay, a promissory note of, of what's to come. So let me give you a good example of what I'm trying to say here, what I'm trying to spell out for you. How many got a dollar bill in your pocket? Anybody got a dollar bill in your pocket? Someone pull out a dollar bill out of your pocket or your purse. Some of you are like, I got my phone. I got my, my card connected to my phone, right? Right? 
You got, you got a dollar? No, you don't have a dollar? All right. So who's got a dollar? Come on, Brandon. I knew you had money back there. You'd bail me out of jail. No, you only got five grand. I, so, so this is interesting. This dollar right here, this is an amazing thing, right? But the truth of the matter is this dollar is really just a piece of paper, right? In reality, it's just a piece of paper. I know it's got some fancy stuff, not this one probably, but it's got some fancy stuff to it. But this dollar is really worthless unless, you know what gives this thing value? The United States government backs this. This is worth something. But in reality, this is just a piece of paper. I could go get a piece of printer paper and cut it out, right? And I could print this or copy this and make it look like, but, you know, it, it, it wouldn't be real, right? Because it's not backed by the United States. You know, I know there's forgeries and all this. But, but this is only good because the United States says, hey, this is our money. We stand behind it. That's it. So uh, I, I want to show you something here. This is interesting. So imagine this. I'll give you your dollar back after church, all right? Imagine this, if you were yard selling somewhere, I don't know, and you were to go in and someone, you buy a book, you know, just buy a random book, 50 cents, right? And you're flipping through this book, and you open this book, and there's a, there is a, uh, a, a dollar bill from the Confederacy from the 1800s, right, from when the, the South and the Civil War. And the, on that is, is Jefferson Davis's face, and, and, you know, outside of that dollar you know, having Jefferson Davis, the Confederacy, uh, having um, it having some kind of antique value in it. Guess what? If you were to take that to the store and be like, hey, I want to buy something with this, people would be like, what is that? Because here's what happened, right? Uh, the Confederacy was abolished, right, after the Civil War. Boom, no more. So their, their, their money has no value. There's nothing holding up to it. So this is what, what I'm trying to say here. The sacrificial system at one time had some weight, okay? And because it was represented uh, uh, by the, uh, uh, the blood of coming sacrifices and a true sacrificial lamb of God, there was, some, there was some weight to it. But once the new covenant took effect, the sacrifices of the old covenant, guess what? They're not worth anything anymore. You can take all the money from the Confederacy and you can't spend it in our system. Why? Because that doesn't exist anymore. And God has pleasure in one sacrifice. Come on, somebody. And once you've seen this and once it really sinks into your heart, you're free because you're not in a position to, uh, 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 you're in a position to receive blessing from the Father based solely on His provision. It's a beautiful thing. So uh, it's not by your works, right? You're not saved by anything you do. You're saved by the grace of God. Amen. By the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says this. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Verse 10. And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. What? Once and for what? Once and for all. So the sacrificial system is gone. No good. Doesn't matter. It, 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 uh, it's, it's been replaced by the new covenant. The imperfect sacrifices were abolished so that we uh, may know the perfect sacrifice and, and that God would imp impute true life to us. Verse 11 says this. Every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sin. So he's talking about the old system here. Hey, priest, man, every day. Offer sacrifice. I'm going to do this day after day after day. And guess what? It 
could never take away sins. The priestly duty was never done. That means they were constantly striving. They were constantly working. And let me just say this. If you, if you feel like you're in a rut spiritually, and every day you're trying, you're trying, you're trying to impress God, all right? And you, you say, I, 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 I'll just say this. You may be working under the old system because you cannot work your way towards God. Ephesians 2.8, so you've been saved by grace. It's not by what? Anything that we do. We can't brag about it because God did the work. I'll give you a verse here, Psalms 46.10, and I like this. And listen, some of you will know this. Some of you probably will, will say it. But it says this, Psalms 46.10, in the, in the New King James Version, it says, Be still and know that I am God. All right? Amen. That's beautiful. Everyone say, Be still. Amen. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. So another way to say this is be still. Or uh, to wait, oh, another way to say be still is this. Stop striving. Stop trying to do it on your own. Um, it's not by works. There's no striving in God's love. It's about resting. It's about trusting. And it's about being safe in him. Let me uh, uh, give you this, the message, and it's the message Bible, or, and it's really not perfectly rendered, but it's, I wouldn't even call it a translation, I would just call it kind of a, um, a paraphrase of the Bible, it says this, and I like the way that this puts this, so the verse, be still and know that I am God, it says it like this, step out of the traffic, <laughs> take a long loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. Sometimes, man, we're in the hustle and bustle. We're trying to spiritually do things for God. Work, 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 right? God wants you to, to work and do things, and, uh, but those things will not save you. It's only the blood of Jesus. And I, I like, so sometimes you're in the middle of traffic, and sometimes you're just like, I got to get out of this. I need, to, I need to get over here where there's rest. And God, you know, and in the middle of that, look up and see God and see his, how beautiful he is. Verse 12 says this, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, one sacrifice, okay, Jesus did it, um, he sat down at the right hand of God. So um, contrary to your belief, Jesus is not pacing and running and fretting up in heaven going, oh, my goodness, whew, I cannot believe this is happening. Oh, my goodness, he's not doing that, Okay. Uh, you know, how many of you are parents or have been parents of teenagers? And sometimes when they have a curfew and they're getting close to that curfew as a parent, you do what? Where are you at? How come you're not home? And some of you are like, I'm guilty of that when I was growing up, right? Um, but this is what Jesus does. He, he, with us, Jesus is totally at rest. He's up at the right hand of the Father. Because he, he did the perfect thing, right, for us. So look at this, verse 13. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. You know what that verse tells me? That everything that we're fighting against, guess what, is going to be and is under the feet of Jesus. Amen? You are an overcomer for uh, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being what? Everyone say it. Sanctified. Um, Christ's enemies are under his feet. There, there's no great, there, I, there's a song that 
that I used to sing when I used to lead worship, and it was, uh, there is no one greater, uh, there is uh, no one more able, no one like our God, there's no one more able, Christ our Savior, great and glorious, he is the name above what? Jesus is greater than cancer, Jesus is greater than any disease, Jesus is greater than any situation that you can face. Jesus is greater than any bondage. You name a sin, Jesus is greater because his name is higher than. Amen? I love that. Jesus' work on the cross has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That is those who have been set apart. Sanctification. So we, you hear me talk about justification. And justification is the fact that uh, that we have been declared and made righteous, justification, just as if I never sinned. That's what Christ does for us. He, he makes things right. But then after salvation comes this sanctification process where God and the Holy Spirit begin to work on us. It convicts us and begins to change us. And we begin to, as we grow, come on, if you aren't growing, you need to grow. And as we grow towards God, he begins to perfect us and he begins to make us like him through sanctification. Amen. Come on, somebody, right? Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, uh, after saying, verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws, where? And write them on there. Ooh, I like this. And God's not going to write his law on tablets anymore. Oh, he's going to put the new covenant on your heart. That's why, all right, you ready? That's why <laughs> when you're going down your way and you're doing something that you, you, the Holy Spirit says, stop, don't say it, don't post it, don't call them, come on, right? And you get checked and your Holy Spirit says, oh, no, 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 you, you, I'm sanctifying you, I'm making you a little bit better. Be still, get out of the traffic, shut your mouth. That's what the Holy Spirit has to tell me sometimes. Right? And he's writing those things on our heart. Being led by the Holy Spirit, we are uh, convicted into the Lord's truth. And you've heard me say this. The, the early church, they didn't have the Bible. They were writing it. They were in the process of writing it. And, and, and they all were led by the Spirit of truth. Come on. And, 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 man, when the Bible began to come together, it just pulled together what God had already been speaking to them. Verse 17. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. You ought to get excited about that. You guys can sit there like a lump on a log if you want to, but I'm free from the part of sin. And God, God, woo, that's good. Verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is what? No longer any offering for sin. Once and done, it's, it's, it's done. If, so if God does not remember our sins any longer, that means there's no need or no uh, uh, no further sacrifice needed. And, and I'll, I will say this. To remember their sins no more does not mean that God forgets them. Did you know that? doesn't mean he forgets them. You ready for this? But it means that he does not hold them against you any longer. Whew, man, Lord, help me to be like you. Oh, you know, somebody does you wrong. And we want to remember, right? I want to remember that, you know. But I, you know, and, and sometimes it's hard, man, to forgive people that do us wrong. And we want to hold it over their head the rest of their life, right? 
to love somebody like Christ loves us is to go, I know you did it, but I'm not going to hold it against you anymore. And that's a beautiful thing for me. I love God's grace. I love his mercy. Look at this. If you need a subheading here, right here, the, the, the full assurance of faith. Uh, it says this, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, all right, by the new uh, and living way that, that uh, it, because the veil was rent, right? You remember on that day that when Jesus died, the veil was rent. We can come into the holy of holies. Come on, we have access to places that people in the Old Testament wish they could have come. We can come right, right before the Lord. So in the holy of holies stood the Ark of the Covenant. I talked about this last time, and in the Ark of the Covenant, are the Ten Commandments, which we've all broken, everybody in here, right? And then there's Aaron's rod, and, and it was a sign of the, the people's rebellion to God's leadership, right? And you, why do you have a rod? Sometimes you got to knock some people around because they're being rebellious, right? And, 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 and so we, you know, as people, we're re rebellious, and there was a pot of manna given there. And, it, and people, man, when God feeds you every day, every morning, and you grumble because, you know, you know, Bread's falling from heaven. What are you grumbling about? There's quail coming to you. I mean, you're eating you're eating quail sandwiches. Come on, calm down, relax. And 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 they begin to not. They lacked gratitude about God's provision. In other words, the ark. Come on, the ark reminds me, and it reminds us that that our failures are so many at many points. But here's here's the good thing about that. Um, covering covering the ark of the of the covenant. Hiding the broken Ten Commandments, the, the ones hiding our rebellious spirits, hiding the unthankfulness was the mercy seat. It sat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Matthew 9, 13 says, it's, it's not wonder that Jesus said, go your way and learn of this, that you might learn mercy. Mercy. The one thing Christ wanted us to learn was mercy. It was, it was prescribed by him for us. And through us. Right? God gave it to me, so I'm supposed to give it to other people. Come on, you ought to give that waiter or waitress some mercy sometimes. Maybe they're having a bad day. Come on, God meets us at the mercy seat where the blood was applied. That's the, where the priest, man, he'd seven times sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. That's where God meets us, on the mercy seat. I, I know in the ark there's some things within me that's terrible. And God said, ah, I've got mercy right here for you. It's a beautiful thing. He opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So we have a high priest interceding for us, not with words, uh, with his lips, but with his wounds. And by his, he's showing, hey, I paid the price. Verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, uh, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So notice notice this. I, 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 man, I love this right here. We draw near. Look, look. We draw near to God with a true heart. Everyone say true. You don't draw near God with a pure heart. You go with a true heart. You don't go uh, you, uh, towards God. With a clean heart, you go with a true heart. You can't attain that. Not a, not a clean heart because here's the thing. My righteousness, as good as I get, is, is terrible. Right? A true heart says this. 
So I approach God. I know I'm a sinner. I know I have flaws. I know I've messed up. I know I need you. And so, Lord, that's why I'm coming to you. That's why I'm coming into your presence because I need you to do a heart transplant on me. I, I know I'm bitter. I know I'm upset. And, Lord, I'm coming because I'm just being honest with you right now. I need you. It's a beautiful thing. So I can come boldly to him whether I haven't prayed to him for 10 minutes or 10 years. I still come to him and say, God, I, I'm struggling. I need you. And once I come with a true heart, the effectiveness of the sacrifice on Calvary takes effect. Verse 23 says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. This is a beautiful bit of scripture. I've heard this quoted a lot, right? And Jesus is our faithful high priest to whom is, is he faithful. You know, he, he's interceding for us to the Father, right? And, and uh, so we, we, how many know that, that it's all good, amen? Uh, for he who promised is faithful. Jesus is faithful to his Father to do what? To keep those who have committed to him. Hey, they're under my blood. They're under my blood. Look at this, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir uh, up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some. People were staying home watching Netflix at that point too, all right? Uh, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So encourage one another. As the days, as the, the, the Lord draws near, hey, we ought to be encouraging each other more. Hey, you got this. Stand strong. Uh, man, it was a beautiful thing, uh, our prayer night, Sunday night. Um, uh, bef before we left, I just felt compelled by the Holy Spirit. I just, the people that are here, I said, hey, everyone get in groups of two or three, and I want you to pray a prayer of encouragement for the person next to you. And it was beautiful to watch, and it was beautiful to experience. And, and I left here, I, I left here charged in my heart of what God is doing. One of the benefits, listen, one of the many benefits of attending church is encouragement we receive from one another. I love to come into this building, and I may be down in my heart, and I'm walking down, and Mark Glenn comes up to me. Hey, Pastor, you doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Man, give me a hug. Or I walk in, I, and Brandon says, hey, Pastor, how are you doing? I got $5,000 for you. And we've encouraged, right? I'm speaking those things into existence as if they were to have But here's what happens as the days grow tougher. How many know we live in a tough society? How many know that we can get discouraged day by day, watching the news, whatever, living life, driving down Highway 37, right? We can be discouraged. But as, we, as those things discourage us, listen, it's more important that as we, we come together, right, and that we help each other, we encourage each other. We love each other. Amen. The devil wants nothing more than for you to feel isolated, alone, depressed, over here by yourself, weeping and crying in your little corner because you feel like you're all alone. Listen to me. God designed this thing so we could help each other out. Amen. Verse 26 says this. For uh, if we go sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer rem remains a sacrifice of sin. Verse 27. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume uh, the adversaries. Verse 28, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Verse 29, how much 
worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? So um, this is interesting right here. And this may be a good place to, to, to pause. I don't know. I'll see where I'm at here in just a second here. Um, like Hebrews chapter 6. Remember, I, we went through Hebrews chapter 6, and it's a little bit, it's a tough one to kind of grind through. There's some things in there that people have kind of taken out of context. But uh, like Hebrews chapter 6, if you read that, that may cause some tear in you, but uh, like terror, T-E-R-R-O-R, not like T-E-A-R, all right? Um, it's some terror. Sorry, it's just my Ozark accent coming out. Terror. Uh, in you, but that it, that verse should just remind us that is a that is a wonderful warning from the Lord. Hey, pay attention to how you live. Look what you're doing. Look at this. And has uh, profaned the blood of covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace. So the spirit of, of grace refers to the Holy Spirit. Zechariah twelve ten is a is a place you can look for that and see that. And so. Um, the spirit of grace means returning to the, uh, you know, for some there in that time, they were returning to the sacrificial system of offering of bulls and goats and anything else to try to make things right with the Lord. Look at this, verse 30. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. How many know that we should, uh, man, the beginning of wisdom, what, is fear of what? Man, do you know who can annihilate you in a second? You know how good God's grace is? You know God could take you out of this world? It's kind of like your parents. I brought you into this world. I can take you. You know God can take you out? Oh, man. The warning here isn't. That if you're, if you're uh, you know, if you're struggling with sin, that there's no hope for you. The warning here is not turning, uh, is people that are not turning their back to sin, but rather turning their back to the, per, to the provision for sin. People who say, hey, I'm going to sin, and it doesn't matter what Christ did for me, right? And so they don't, they're not even, I, I'm not even going to pay attention to what you're doing, Lord. So if I think I have to help the Lord with my works, you know what? You know what? That makes me, that, that means that I'm mocking the broken body of Christ. Jesus doesn't need my help to redeem my sins, right? Verse 32, but recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured hard struggle with suffering. Verse 33, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being uh, partners with those so treated. Verse 34, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and, and, and an abiding one. So part of the reason the Hebrews were returning to the sacrificial system was because uh, they were no longer alienated. Uh, they, they didn't want to be alienated from the community of those believers. And Paul's saying this, why are you going back? Oh, well, I believe Paul wrote this. I'm, I'm just, it, just, it has Paul kind of written all over it. And they don't know, most scholars... I, I'm sorry, that slipped out of there. That's what pastor believes, all right? Um, and he's saying, hey, why, why are you going back to this old system? So why, why, why are you doing that? They, uh, uh, you know, they've already called you Jesus followers, and they've already put that title. They've already beaten you up. They've already plundered all your stuff. They've already given all those things. So why don't you just keep going the way that Christ wanted you to go? The best is still ahead. Keep your hope up. It's heaven. 
verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Verse 36. For you have need of an endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Verse 37. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. So don't worry about fitting in with the old group, where you came from, keeping up. or uh, Man, honestly, what he's saying is this. Keep living for heaven. Look ahead. Forgetting the things that are behind me. Come on, right? I press towards the thing. Come on. All right. Here's a good illustration. A rich Saudi prince wanted to give his stockbroker a gift. It's beautiful. I like this story. And he asked the broker, hey, what do you want? And the broker was like, I don't really know what I want, but I think I'll, I, I just want a few new golf clubs. That would, that would be great. And the prince said, okay, no problem. And he went about his way. And weeks went by, and there was no communication. And he was waiting on these golf clubs to come, and they never came. And, and uh, months went by, and he's like, well, I guess I'll just don't worry about that. You know, it was nice of him to offer, but no big deal. And then one day he's sitting at his office, and a messenger came in. Uh, to the office, and, and he gives him a notarized package, and he hands it to him, and the, the broker opens it up, and he begins to read a letter from the prince, and it says, thank you for your hard work and your patience with me. Here's the title of five golf clubs from across the world. I apologize that the last one doesn't have tennis courts or a swimming pool, but I hope this is okay with you. Isn't that like us? We, we ask for this, and God gives us abundantly above what we could even ask for, right? Something beautiful. Uh, so, too, God is going to blow our minds, right? We think it's going to be this good. It's going to be this good, right? It's going to be better than what our eyes can even, uh, even understand. He's preparing for those who love him. I mean, think about if God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us, imagine what he's going to do for us for eternity. How much does he love us? Verse 38. Oh, man. Can you believe this? We're almost done. But my righteousness, one shall uh, live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and persevere their souls. You ought to underline that in your Bible. Don't be that person that shrinks back. Be the one that says, hey, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to dig my heels in. Uh, devil, no, you can't have my family. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold the ground. I'm gonna fight. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw my shield of faith out here. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna lead. Come on, don't go back. To those who live by faith, uh, they invest in their physical lives, not just their physical lives, but they also invest in their eternal dividends. Amen. Are you encouraged tonight? How many are grateful for the blood of Jesus? Amen. Will you stand with me real fast? I just want to pray with you tonight. How many would say, hey, I got.